ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕਾ ਖਾਲਸਾ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕੀ ਫਤਿਹ ਐਂਡ ਵੈਲਕਮ ਟੂ ਅਨਦਰ ਐਪੀਸੋਡ ਆਫ ਦ ਸੀਕ ਰੈਨਸੋਂਸ ਡਿਊ ਟੂ ਪਰਸਨਲ ਫੈਕਟਰਸ ਆਰ ਟੀਮ ਹੈਸ ਬੀਨ ਬਿਜ਼ੀ ਓਵਰ ਦ ਲਾਸਟ ਫਿਊ ਮੰਥਸ ਅਰਗੋ ਦ ਲੈਗ ਇਨ ਅਰ ਐਪੀਸੋਡ ਰਿਲੀਜ਼ ਹਾਊਐਵਰ ਮੇਕਿੰਗ ਦ ਬੈਸਟ ਆਫ ਅ ਵਰਸਟ ਸਿਚੁਏਸ਼ਨ ਸਚ ਪ੍ਰੋਲੌਂਗਡ ਵੇਟਿੰਗ ਪੀਰੀਅਡਸ ਅਲਾਊਸ ਯੂ the listeners and the readers to directly communicate to us via facebook substack and twitter as to what you are looking for and allows us to design and provide much better and accurate content so there's a silver lining to every cloud as they say this current episode is in some way linked to our recent substack article the serpent among us the deadly embrace of love So far that article has generated a minor controversy with their inbox being repeatedly filled with the usual criticisms and death threats but also with increasing praise. Let me put it more clearly what the aim of that article was that was essentially to tell listeners and readers that we seeks today love to promote ourselves as all loving because believe it or not We have been fed the glib line that love trumps hate that love trumps violence and force as well and so what we require is love above all else <clears throat> this dilsafri because there is no other word for it increasingly is being extended to islamists who pray for our extirpation because we are infidels and they do this five times a day yet we are allowing them to hold their prayers in our gurdwara <clears throat> as well as to the lgbtqi community i understand they have added an i now and this community is quite prominent for its child grooming and civilization destroying antics for a better expression as well as radical christian missionaries targeting our community for conversion because we believe that they are somehow oppressed in india and this dilsafri we're extending it to just about every other group so we can virtue signal thanks every it's such an abysmal point that we have misguided sikh youth born in punjabi families abroad arguing to be allowed to cut their case because well we sikhs are supposed to be selfless like ravi khan and kal said right who cares if the gurus gave us case Let's cut them for selflessness because we want to virtue signal for cancer patients. <clears throat> But here's the thing, those patients can source synthetic hair. So why are Sikhs offering up their case? Or let us sit closer to home here. Guru Nanak covered up nudity in the name of religion, right? Religious nudity was forbidden by him and, you know, also religious prostitution. Religion is the highest endeavor of mankind. We Sikhs are agreed upon that. Does anyone then in their right mind really believe he would tolerate only fans whoring around done by our girls or the Instagram jiggluism done by our boys? Would he actually allow them to use Sikhi to excuse these practices? <clears throat> the usual retort from the guilty parties is that Sikhi says do not judge. The contradiction here couldn't be more ridiculous. Person A who is doing the first round of judging judges person B, but person B judges person A's judgment to be inferior and cries do not judge. However, as we know, 
logic is usually lost on the fallen. That said, let us however save others from these ill effects of atrophying Eastern and Western degeneracy through strong values-based Sikh Prachar. Now, I remember a time when Sikhs in Punjab and abroad used to shun any one of their members who cut off their hair. I remember a time when women were prized for their intellect as well as their modesty and not the size of their breasts, and how much of their vagina they are able to show online. The leftist Sikhs among us, the liberals who argue that the gurus disparaged, mo disparaged modesty. Can they point out any incidents where the gurus allowed nude men or women to prance in front of them? The ancient Sakhis tell us that once a king requested Guru Amardas that he be allowed to bring his wives to visit him. The guru refused unless these women removed their wiles but otherwise retained a modest apparel. Now, one of the queens obviously wailed her face and the guru told her to be gone. Unable to take the criticism from society at the time and also depressed due to other issues, she ran away from the palace and essentially ended up in the forest. And there a guru Sikh by such and such was cutting timber when this uh, crazed lady grabbed him from behind. He went to the guru and told him that, you know, Guru Maharaj, this is what's happened with me. There's this crazy nude lady in the forest and the guru told him, by such and such ji, irrespective of the fact that she's, you know, crazy, go there and cover her up, right? Modesty does not necessarily equal the veil as the leftists generally attempt to misassociate it. But then let's not allow reality to spoil good myth, shall we? Now, what's funny is that in the case of Sikhs, they will use the perverted logic of emphasizing that, you know, prostitution, pornography, degenerate sexualism, in summary, is allowed. But when it comes to their favorite minority, the Islamists, they will argue that they have the right to the veil, even though a majority of Muslim women would say otherwise, who live in Muslim theocracies. I mean, I can just about imagine their Dilsafri in a country like, say, Iran, where women are ripping off their hijab, these guys will probably be joining the mullahs to enforce the hijab. But there is good news. A pushback is evident. And we can see it. Gurmat Prachar is reaching houses and families. Non-Sikhs are beginning to convert, and even though they're small in number, we still have hope. Historically speaking, and you can read this in Pai Kartar Singh Jabbar's biography published by the SGPC, there was a time prior to the Singh Sabha Lahore and even when it was going strong when prostitutes were dancing in Sikh Gurdwaras openly, there is this incident that Pai Kartar Singh went to do prachar and they uh, told him in the local Gurdwara that the uh, local prostitute was coming so he had to move out. Because he was in a minority and he really couldn't take on a whole village, but he returned and kicked them out and restored the Gurdwara sanctity. This was in Pakistan, unfortunately, which is another degenerate nation. We are not in such dire situations today, however. But we can fall to that level if we are not vigilant enough. The only way we can avoid this spectacular of falls is if by learning lessons from our past and living the truth of Gurbani we pave the way for future Sikh generations. 
The Guru is still guiding us. We just have to listen like Gurbani says, Sacha Satgur kya kare jise kame chuk. So let us not be the chukye, the defective Sikhs. Let us be the Gur Sikhs. Moving on now, the concept of love is brandished about to justify every degeneracy passed off or justified or excused through Sikhi. That we need to love communities who pray for us to burn in hell. We need to love communities that want to extinguish our children's fertility. We need to love communities that would see our Guru Granth Sahib burnt as a fake scripture. This isn't love. Kindness, empathy and love do not equal the conformism which is being imposed on us today. This conformism has a name and that is repressive tolerance. We Sikhs are required to tolerate the repression of those who want to see us destroyed and the names of our Gurus forgotten, but opposingly, they have the right to expect us to stay quiet and not even stick up for our right to exist. This is where Dil Safri has brought us. Now, there is a pointed difference between loving someone and then tolerating their repressive tolerance. Consider this book, the Freedaji advises us to kiss the fists of those who would hurt us and return to our homes. Right? Our Pais and Kirtanis and Gurukars have done this verse right to the death. Basically that, you know, this is what we need to do, this is what we need to do. And the irony is that they're taking this out of context because they believe themselves to be defeated because our Qom believes itself to be defeated subliminally. And they will do this under pictures of great Gursiks and Sheaths who resorted to the sword to fight for their right to exist and fight for Sikhi's right to exist. Right? Why? Didn't our forefathers know that Bhakt Fridji was preaching this? But then as Cunningham points out, none of these Pandra Bhakt were able to furnish something like the Khalsa, so what differentiated them from Guru Nanak? And the thing is, that Guru Nanak says to Bhakt Fridji, well, no, there is always a limit. Murak Gandapave Mumar, the only way to form a bond with a fool is to break their face, and this is what Sikhs should be doing. And this last fact is aptly summarized by Guru Gobind Singh Ji when he says, when tolerance is breached, then it is righteous to draw the sword, meaning that use force when all other measures fail. Now, Bhakt Fridji emphasizes we do good for those who would intend us harm. Frida Bureda Palakar. Right? But doing good is quite an open ended expression here. He does not define what good is. There are times, and today those can be considered a majority of times, when doing good for an evildoer does not mean kissing their feet, but stopping their rampage before it increases and harms others, and particularly those who are doing the harming before it harms them, before it rebounds and ricochets on them. It would be for their own good to preemptively defeat them and put them down. Now, based on personal experience, there is one salient rule I've learned in the various martial arts I've done, whether it is military-style fighting, Krav Maga, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Kukshin, it is this, that a preemptive offense is the best defense. Not only for yourself, but your opponent. It will forewarn them against getting uppity next time. And you would have saved God knows how many lives in the future by putting that one person down. Preemptive strikes. Quite a militaristic term. So, in a nutshell, essentially, tough love is the Sikh form of love. 
It is easy to shoehorn Sikhi into the Judeo-Christian framework to make Sikhi somehow more palpable to religious whites. The reality is, and in my humble opinion, Sikhi is greater than evangelism and any other faith on the face of the earth. They're all inferior to Sikhi. None of their prophets have the calibers of our ten gurus. Judeo-Christian morphs with their emphasis on turning the other cheek and forgiving enemies unconditionally laid low the mighty Roman Empire that was born through the sword. It went to waste because of Christianity. It was one of the factors which destroyed that empire. And now it has failed to arrest the current degeneracy afflicting the West. We have drag queens dancing in churches and children openly witnessing sexual escapades reserved for private eyes only and that too in churches which they claim are their houses for God. And let's not consider the long-running altar boy scandals. That pedophilia is just about another whole series of 10 episodes if you get into that. That's not to say that our laundry is clean as well, however, it is more cleaner than their laundry. But that same Judeo-Christian ideology is being reframed as the sick ontological framework when, in reality, it's galaxies apart. Here's the Sikh view starting from Guru Nanak and ending on today's blind generation. Kindness and love are ineffective when confronting tyranny. Only arms and philosophical passion win that battle. And tyranny comes in many forms, from killing your kids to grooming your kids into believing they're born in the wrong gender, or brainwashing them into believing that it is righteous to kill infidels. Kind and loving people need to be cruel within certain parameters to ensure that their vision and mode of existence triumphs above all else. Tough to digest, but this is the bitter reality that Sikh history teaches us. That Sikhi teaches us. That Gurmat teaches us. And this was pointed out to me recently, and I personally find this very intriguing as well, that the forgive your enemies lot. They retain a very high degree of respect for Santa Jarnel Singh, or so they claim. Whatever your disagreements with the Sant's ultimate strategy, it can't be denied that his words and actions still resonate today as they did when he did them. But there are many among us who do cherry-pick for convenience to up their own image on his shoulder, you know, sniping from his shoulder, or the more and, you know, direct Punjabi parlance. He called weaponless cowards khosre, Right? That speech is still available online. Now, the LGBTQI community, if it knew this, would not tolerate him because, well, Kusra is a slur, isn't it? But Santaji knew fully well what he was doing. So why are multiple Khalistani organizations today full of these liberals sporting LGBTQI then? Right? What is... What are they hoping to gain from that sport? Kosare for Khalistan? Is that it? Is that all they want? At the expense of Sikhi? The problem our people have is that every time they try seeking an alliance for their benefit, and this is the difference between them and our 18th century forebears, it's that today they will dilute Sikhi to appease their so-called allies, whereas back in the past our forefathers made alliances but never diluted Sikhi. Right? Some Marathas came into Punjab 
and the Dal Khalsa saw their caste practices and refused to ally, ally themselves with them. Right? They refused at Panipat for strategic lesson, uh, reasons, but otherwise they decided we will keep the Marathas at bay, we will keep them far from us because their ideology clashes with their ideology. Right? Now, of course, the Dilsaf liberals and leftists can argue, well, hey, what was the uh, fault of the 60,000 innocent Maratha women and children who got done at Panipat? Well, basically, when you have ideological clashes, then more than one person suffers. Right? We can argue that, well, those 60,000 did not have any fault, but then the society they were brought up in, the ideology they believed in, right? What about the low caste they might have mistreated? What if those people said, well, what was our fault then? That you went to save those 60,000 and not us. You see where this line of logic, this self-hatred we have for ourselves, our forefathers, this reasoning that, you know, Dil Safri was primarily the Sikh objective and nothing else and our history has been misinterpreted. So now we can't do Langar Seva without people confronting us because, well, Sikhs were made to do selfless Seva and nothing else. You see where this leads us down to the dark route we go down? Right. Then, in one of Santaji's philosophical expositions, he refers to Muhammad as a corrupt prophet. Right? Why are Khalistani organizations trying to draw parallels between Islam and Sikhi than for some grand anti-India coalition, when you know that the very figurehead you sport, the very individual you claim as a figurehead, was against this maneuver himself? That he saw Sikhi as being more grander than Islam, way far removed from Islam in a way. So if anything, our history teaches us that when we spot ourselves, we emerge as victors. When we spot others, we end up diluting Sikhi for their pleasure. Speaking realistically, and this was noticed by Machiavelli as well, the Judeo-Christian framework is essentially a failure. Let us look at its embodiment, Jesus, right? The man's whole life, if studied pragmatically, was a failure. He ultimately got steamrolled in the end and his vision was dismantled. Consider armed visionaries like the Gurus. Even though Sikhs are still warring for their right to exist, at least we have not fractured as Christianity is. We can still avoid that fate if we are proactive enough. Similar points now can be used to uh, stop the Christian conversion mafia in the Punjab. That, however, requires a massive effort and unity across the board, so that is a discussion for another episode. So, one of the most potent events from the 10th Guru's lifetime mentioned in the Sri Guru Sobhavai witness Kavi Senapati underscores just how pragmatic and realistic our Gurus were in terms of their religious understanding and comprehension of other ideologies. There are certain parameters that cannot be violated in war and the alternative is often exile. This is the more humane approach that, however, while favoured by pagans, was written out of history by the Abrahamic cults. So consider this, if a religious text prescribes the betrayal and subjugation of non-conformists, then does it truly matter how many people believe in that scripture and how they interpret that content? There will always be the very real risk of such content being literally interpreted by large portions leading to future conflict. So we are actually currently seeing this both in Europe and the Islamic world as Saudi Arabia is trying to liberalize Islam, but confronting the status quo of the Qur'an, their belief is that it's the direct word of God, so it can't be changed, uh, including all its uh, you know, murderous and pedophilic content. 
We see multiple apostates such as apostate Allah and apostate Prophet and countless others logically deducting that the Quran cannot be the words of God and this is the same sentiment found among many Muslims now leaving their religion because how can God literally make humans predestine them and then blame them for their transgressions, you know, irrespective of whatever spin you put on it or how you portray it. The same goes for the Judeo-Christian framework as well. How can Matthew, Mark, Luke and John have different narratives of Jesus' birth despite all four being attested to be his contemporaries? How can Christianity effectively reconcile belief in an afterlife with free will? Now, this is what Richard Dawkins once asked. Is there any free will in the afterlife if all that exists in the afterlife is good? How do we select between what is good then if there is no free will? Right, what do we compare good with? How do we measure good? Or, let's go further, Christianity is fracturing over one very conspicuous point. When Jehovah slaughtered the Egyptians' firstborn children to liberate the Jews, where did those children go? Heaven? Hell? Is it right to kill children for the sins of another? Here's one more. Adam sinned and we are allegedly descended from him. Is it right for us to be punished for our sins, as the Bible says? Yes? No? If you answer yes as a Sikh, then what right do you have to fan the flames of retribution within your heart for what Wazir Khan and Sucha Nanda did to the Saibzadis? Should we make it incumbent globally then that all children, irrespective of their own agency, should be punished for their parents' supposed transgressions? Is that what we should be doing? Is that actually justified via Gurmat? I don't think so. Such queries will often invite logical questioning and to suppress this logical questioning, such cultist systems employ heavy violence. Non-conformists are segregated, betrayed, raped and even killed. And this is where we come to the Gursoba. So the Battle of Nadorn, 1691. Bhim Chand has fallen afoul of the Mughals and invited his neighbors to help him against the Mughal army coming for him. The shameless hypocrite also writes to Guru Gobind Singh Ji for aid. Now here comes another of those parts used to justify that Sikhs be doormats for the world in the name of selflessness. After all, the Guru said yes, didn't he? The reality though was that the Guru replied positively as a means of entering the coalition and seeing its battle tactics for the day the Sikhs would have to answer it. This has happened throughout history. So the Sikhs marched to battle and subdued the foe. This being a ceasefire, countless hill kings invited the Guru and his Sikhs to their domains. Right? So the Guru selected this opportunity for intelligence gathering as well. Let's not try typecasting our Gurus in the same light as the Christians have typecasted their Christ. Right? Our Gurus were more pragmatic. Our way of life is more pragmatic. So... After these invitations, the Guru and his Sikhs decided to return to their domains in Anandapur. It was on the way back to Anandapur that the Guru passed Asloon. Alsoon. Yes, Alsoon. Apologies for that. They passed near Alsoon. And this village was inhabited by Muslim Rangars whose very children were trained to harass, rob Sikhs and report on them. So now let's look at the words of Kavi Senapati who was an eyewitness to this. Nekt gav al suke tabe ponchehe, tahi sam ese kheo lot leho ethan. 
the Guru arrived with his force near a village called Alsun. The Guru instantly ordered his soldiers that they must prepare to loot and plunder the place. Right? This is Kavi Senapati, uh, eyewitness. An Alsume Sur Ese Rupai, Pakri Ke Shastar Chalai, Pare Joje Sangram Ese Kyo, Chenakme Anek Ketan Kai. So now storming Alsun, the Guru's warriors are fighting, they're wielding their weapons so skillfully that in the fierce battle which rages, many inhabitants are being slaughtered left, right and center. They're just dropping. Mari kete liyor baje sabe choytan tam aise sade chalat hai ban gun jur jani pari parbal baje hai bhanti aise batai. So, so many were slaughtered with so many retreating that all inhabitants, now please note, all inhabitants fled abandoning their belongings. The Guru shot such a deadly volley of arrows that it was difficult to even see the sky. So many Sikh arrows were abounding that all inhabitants decided to run and flee. Fateh kyo alsun ko bajyo tabal nishan gobind singe tabe par anand sabathan. Alsun has fallen to the Guru's warriors. The Sikh drums are roaring all around the vicinity. Now with Alsun fully deserted and raised to the ground, Guru Gobind Singh Ji striking his flag there departs for Anandpur. Right. Notice how Senapati, and I will actually underscore this fact again, I'll emphasize it. Notice how Senapati, who was an eyewitness, Notice how he mentions that every villager was driven out. All inhabitants fled. Now, of course, our liberal friends will argue, but, oh, the Guru uprooted tyranny from the village and not the village itself. Here, we have a confirmed eyewitness telling us what happened, but that's not good enough for these folks, is it now? Now, ask yourselves this. Didn't the Guru know about Kudrat Ke Sab Bande? Didn't he know about humanity? Or what's the reality? Was the Guru pragmatic enough to see that a virulent ideology had taken hold of the populace of Alsun? And it was instrumental, this ideology was instrumental in instigating both Hindus and Muslims against Sikhs. Their religions instigated them against Sikhs. And it was only right that those conduits those ideologies inciting this anti-Sikh hatred should be removed. That this very same hostile Muslim population down to the last child was acting as an intelligence conduit for spying on Sikhs and as Sikhs were more important on virtue of their Sikhi than these turncoats and such a military danger on his own borders, on his own doorstep had to be rapidly neutralized. What should he have done? Taken Khalsaid and gone to do Langar Seva, told his Sikhs, no, let's be selfless and give up our fight to keep Alsun happy because humanity, Aji. See, this is what I believe. The Guru did exactly what was right and what made Vaheguru proud. It is easy to justify our lack of prachar and weakness in promoting Sikhi today by arguing that all faiths are some great chain of rivers feeding into the cosmologically infinite ocean of Sikhi and we should have respect for all. But I urge those who use this argument to 
honestly study all fates and then try making the same conclusion without resorting to mental acrobatics. Here is the lesson from Al-Sun. Do not bend down for ideologies opposed to Saki. Do not concede ground for philosophies diametrically opposed to Saki. Do not help those who are capable of helping themselves. Always prize your own selves as similarly as you prize the one you're assisting. Seek to make others independent of you and not reliant on you. Why waste precious resources sending Nihangs to guard Sangat's passing close by through Alsun when burning the village to the ground was more economically and militarily profitable in the long run? Our history speaks even today. Wake up to reality. Spread the truth of Gurmata. Do not allow it to languish in Gurdwaras alone. Do not shoehorn it into other ideologies. Wake up and fight for what is right. Do not give the world a loving legacy. Give the legacy of tough love. Reality is tough, but reality is hukam, so learn to love it. Tough love. Right? Now, there is the Saki that Guru Nanak was walking with Pai Mardana. One day they entered a village and the villagers, a few villagers, threw rocks and stones at them. And the Guru and Pai Mardana, you know, went away. They came to another village and a few villagers helped them. Now, in the evening, Pai Mardana asked Guru Nanak that, Guruji, I have a question. And the Guru said, please ask Pai Mardana. Don't keep it within you, right? And remember, if you ever have any question, no matter how stupid you think it is, always ask it. Better to have all your doubts resolved. And Pai Mardana says that, Guruji, well, that first village where they harassed us and attacked us, you said, may you live here and prosper and have no reason to go out. The Guru said, exactly. The other village where they, you know, were so kind to us, you said, may events force you to leave this village and spread out. Do not, do not say that there was some deep reasoning here, Guruji, but do the nicer people not deserve the security and sanctity of a long-term home? And the Guru says that, by Mardana, well, here's the thing. Those villagers who mistreated us, they will spread venom in the world. Those who were kind to us, if they leave and spread out, they will spread the fragrance of empathy in the world. Now, someone can say, well, look, the whole village didn't treat the Guru badly, so why was the whole village supposed to, you know, gyojre? Why was the whole village supposed to be uprooted? But here's the thing, ideology is not based on an individual. It's based on a mess. Right? Let's take another incident. Jathedar Baba Bagel Singh entered Delhi. May Guru Nanak furnish more warrior leaders like him and demolish 13 mosques that were built atop sites related to events sanctified through Sikh blood. Now, of course, our liberals will argue, but hey, the worshippers there had nothing to do with those events. Why were their houses so worship targeted? Here's the thing. The Jathedar was more pragmatic than us today. He knew the ideology impelling its adherents to deny another's history and even their right to life just because they did not believe in the same creed. That's why he decided to demolish the mosques, not keeping anyone else's sentiments in mind. The argument, do not tar everyone with the same brush, does not apply when it comes to religious adherents. We always need to be vigilant there. It is high time we discard this misleading sense of love will write everything and that all religions are equally valid. These are just useless fantasies. This was never a historical Sikh virtue like we have made it today. 
Wake up and see the reality. We are experiencing a clash of civilizations. High time we ensure that our Sikh civilization not only regains its lost glory, but alongside surviving also thrives. Take some pride in Sikhi and Sikh supremacy. Our forefathers did. Do not besmirch their legacy with your spit. Polish it with your good deeds. Polish it by emulating them. Think about it and think really hard about it. Many of our, you know, so-called Paichara lovers ignore and even deny the fact that the Sikh population has been rapidly dwindling in Pakistan. This is not to say that things are better on the Indian side. There are many issues there as well. But why ignore the pen? Why ignore the flames for the frying pan? Right? Focusing on the frying pan and then from there we'll jump straight into the flames like we did last time in 47. Right Now here's the question. Something which needs to be understood here is that for some reason our community has started obfuscating, mixing the exception and the norm. We're confusing the exception for the norm. Right, One of these uh, Sikh preachers who built up a remarkable history of speaking out against the Akal Takht Jathedar and was recently seen in the Jathedar's feet, right, offer as well. He was trying this same argument with us on Twitter that, you know, we had Peer Buddhu Shaji, we had Ghani Khan and Nabi Khan, you know, etc, etc. How can you say that we should be wary of Pakistan then? Right? Here's the thing, leaving the geopolitics aside, if we start counting how many Hindus and Muslims help the Gurus overall, how many sets of hands, how many pairs of hands would we use? 10, 20? And if we start counting the exception who was against the sea, the norm, right? So here, first we're counting the exception. We will probably need 20 pairs of hands, but I will stake my life on it that if we start counting the norm who was against the Sikhs and the Gurus, we would probably run out of pairs of hands. Do not confuse the exception for the norm. Right? Kudos to those who were the exception, but then why ignore the norm? What if the exception was secretly wanting to become Sikh like Pai? Sayyid Khan, Jarnel Sayyid Khan became Jathedar Sayyid Singh and became a Sheed for Guru Gobind Singh Ji. Do not confuse the exception for the norm. Do not hanker after Pai Chara. Leave the Pai Chara and focus on Sikhs first. Then use Pai Chara for your own benefit and someone else's if you can benefit them, but don't make it your end-all mission that in the name of Paichara you destroy Sikhi as well, like we are doing today. That's all for today. Thank you for listening to us. Vaheguru Ji Ka Khalsa, Vaheguru Ji Ki Fateh.